0: You're listening to the gamestreet.biz podcast i'm james bachelor and this week i'm joined by I'm jeffrey Russo and brendan sinclair we're going to be talking about the biggest stories from the past week starting with details of the next call of duty now a little bit of context before we go into this so it was reported last year february 2022 that there would be no call of duty title in 2023 it would be the first year without a call of duty since 2005. It's like one of the longest running, like annual, maybe not one of the longest running, but certainly one of the most prominent annual franchises. Um, This was because Activision Blizzard wanted to take time and rethink its approach to the series. Obviously, this announcement or this this report came out shortly after Vanguard launched, which did not perform as well as expected. Um, We now have details that, um, well, for a start, Activision Blizzard later said in two earnings calls that, no, there will be a form of Call of Duty release in 2023. We now have potential details of what that's gonna be. So this is a report from Bloomberg. Sources close to the project told them that it's going to be a continuation of last year's Modern Warfare 2. It's not going to be Modern Warfare 3. It's going to be. It's something that was originally planned as an expansion, a premium expansion for Modern Warfare Two that would have released this year. It's now been spun out into a standalone full price release, or at least standalone. You know, a standalone retail retail release. We don't know the price yet. Um, it's expected at the moment that it's going to have like the same maps and modes and stuff from the twenty twenty two release, although that may change before launch. The game is going to be developed by Sledgehammer Games. Um, so that's significant for two reasons. One is that previously only Infinity Ward have developed Modern Warfare games. And two is that the Call of Duty studios are on a three year cycle. So you have a Treyarch game, then uh, I think there's a Treyarch game, then a Sledgehammer game, then an Infinity Ward game. And then it would be a Treyarch game again. The Trayout game, according to the reports, is what has been pushed back to 2024. So the the report from last year isn't entirely inaccurate. Like the, The premium release we would have had this year has been pushed to 2024, but they've decided in the meantime to release this expansion for Modern Warfare 2 as a standalone, larger premium release. Now... Generally speaking, we don't really talk about like the content of games or, you know, the, the, the fact that things are announced, uh, you know, game announcements and launches and stuff. But this is significant, I think, because Call of Duty is consistently one of, if not the best selling titles every single year. And I know that the report that there was going to be no Call of Duty in 2023 at all um had some analysts, some industry folks worried because you wouldn't get that kind of that Call of Duty injection of, of revenue into the market like Come Q4. So you know, I, I don't know many franchises that, you know, the absence of that for one year would have genuinely had a possible impact on the entire global games market. But here we are, Call of Duty is in that position. Um your thoughts, gentlemen, on you know, whether or not a premium expansion or expand alone as they were, uh, they were called like when Sony did a bunch of them, whether this is going to be enough to kind of fill that gap to, to allay that concern. Um, and just, and thoughts in general on, on the state of Call of Duty as an annual franchise.
1: I mean, eventually at some point, something's got to give whatever that may mean. I don't know. That's why we're <laughs> to see whatever that may mean. But, um, to, to answer the, the right point, I, I think I was about to use the word stopgap, but I don't even think that really applies here. I don't think it, it ever really applies to this franchise with, you know, the amount of content that they're able to deliver, whether that be a full um, premium game or a... Um, I guess the, uh, the better word would be a substantial update or online mode or what have you. Because, because the point that we know, given our jobs, is that there's something that's offered that's new for fans um, and, you know, people um, attach themselves to that. And even when there have been years where, um, I honestly forget um, the last World War II title war, it wasn't as well-performing it still performed to the point where it's like okay well that's that kind of sales is expected of a call of duty game even if the product itself wasn't quote-unquote satisfactory um but to the larger point about this year uh, yeah i think it's interesting uh, i i personally think it's interesting on the um that it a call of duty is coming out and still the deal between um you know, Activision Blizzard and Microsoft hasn't gone through, I, I, I think it's interesting that given all the conversations, the comments being made with that, and then there's a new Call of Duty still being made, um, whether or not that may help hamper or whatever they that along um, that timeline, if that deal goes through or not. I think it's interesting from that point. But also to answer the bigger question is that will it release and make a lot of money? Yeah, of course. That's what Call of Duty does. That that's also the other thing that it's become synonymous with. Now, to what degree, who knows? Um, I have no idea. I'm still waiting to see what that gap year is going to look like because I I, I suspect the year there's a quote unquote gap year and there isn't a full new title release, they will at least be a um a fair degree or an update to um a current. Content that will hold people over. Um, what that looks like, I have no idea. But um, I still think, to some degree, it's going to be treated like a new game release. At least that's what I think, as of right now.
2: So, to get something, you know, crystal clear here, in 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 case anyone's unaware, like I, I hate Call of Duty. Like I, I, I find, I find the franchise to be um, like morally repugnant. So, so keep in mind that like that's where I'm coming from here. When I say that, like I, I actually kind of like what Activision is doing here, or at least I think it is a smart adaptation um, to the situation that the the series is is in right now so they've been churning out annualized call of duty since 2005 that was call of duty 2 and they they had gone one year they missed 2004 probably did like big red one or, or something like that a spin-off. but the mainline things they've been they've been churning them out every year like clockwork for a very long time and people have not gotten sick of it um like, 10 years ago, I was like, hey, is Call of Duty peaked? It doesn't seem like it can get much bigger. And then, like, two years ago, with Warzone and Mobile out, it had that huge bump. I'm like, oh, is Call of Duty peaked? I don't think it can get much bigger. And I'm wrong about that. Like, a lot. But it's not it's not a perfectly straight upward line. There are dips there now whenever they do something that isn't Modern Warfare or Black Ops 2. And because those are the Infinity Ward and Treyarch series, that means there are dips there whenever they turn the keys of the series over to Sledgehammer. Now, I don't I don't say that to like, you know, to to throw shade on Sledgehammer. They in they had a Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, so in twenty fourteen that they that they led development on futuristic Call of Duty. Didn't really go over well. Didn't didn't like you know hook gamers as much. So it was like a uh, as much as the you know modern and near modern settings of uh, Black Ops and Modern Warfare. So it was like a down down year for the series pretty clearly. The next time that they they had the keys to the to the franchise was Call of Duty World War II in twenty seventeen, World War II setting. Um, that's not big as much now um, for a few reasons and then uh sledgehammer also did 2021 call of duty vanguard which was another down year but another world war ii setting and i've got all kinds of theories about how because um, the series started as a world war ii series right the first three ep- the first three installments were world war ii set and then they did call of duty 4 modern warfare and that's when it really kind of became what it is uh today as far as like oh well that's just going to be you know the best-selling game of the year every year year in and year out unless rockstar has a gta or a red dead redemption now like i I think part of that is that like especially if you look at you know the last two world war ii games they came out in in an era where uh you have a lot more apologists these days for the other side in, in World War Two, it's, it's not, not as, uh, not as popular, I, I guess, to be, to be shooting fascists as it was on the other hand, you know, shooting Brown people is as, as marketable as it's ever been. So the, the other settings that they, they do now are, you know, they're, they're clicking along. I also feel like, uh, our, our obs- gun obsessed culture, uh, and mass shootings in, in the last decade has really kind of taken a a, a notch up so if, if you're into it for the gun porn and for like the military fetishism uh i i just think the the more modern settings are going to be more appealing to you than than the world war ii stuff uh and that's all gross and creepy but if you look at it just as in terms of like this is a, a you know, a gaming franchise that is hugely popular, but it has these occasional missteps whenever it goes outside of the Modern Warfare or Black Ops settings, this is a way to have Sledgehammer games, which is a perfectly, you know, competent AAA studio, um, from what I can tell. I haven't actually played the the, the Call of Duty games since, what, I think Modern Warfare 3 might have been the last one, or Black Ops 2, I played through Um, but you know I I, I feel like Sledgehammer Games has a decent reputation for being able to like make a, a good game it's just it hasn't really clicked with with gamers with the settings that they've been that they've been pulling so this is a way to give them a chance at a setting that they know is popular and see what they can do with that and 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 sort of breathe uh breathe more life into the sledgehammer side of things because right now it's it's as franchise on a three-year cycle that has two money-making reliable you know sub brands so they need to do something with the third one because obviously world war ii isn't getting it done for them um and they've tried futuristic stuff a couple of times and that hasn't appealed to people as much as things that are more you know a, grounded in today um so like this this is a i think it's an interesting way to mix things up a little bit the the idea of how they market it is going to be a problem i think though because i don't i don't necessarily know how you you go out to them and say okay so it's new single player campaign but it's kind of an expansion but it's still going to presumably be full price and are people going to get on board for that but i mean i that they've kind of had that problem ever since they had uh warzone rollout, because you know here's the free to play multiplayer game that you're you're basically you know going to be interested in so how do we how do we still sell people on the the annual updates when you know honestly it seems like a, a good call of duty multiplayer game can you know can extend on its own for years and years as a live service title uh, so I'm, I'm i'm interested to see how they market it but generally i think it's a you know a smarter adaptation than what they've been doing which has been asking sledgehammer the you know the bottom rung of the totem pole to carry the weight with a world war ii setting which is the least popular one that they've uh, you know that they've rolled out for people at least over the last like 20 years now.
0: So I'm in I'm intrigued to see what they'll do like like you like you said marketing it will be interesting pricing it I think it's going to be a big one. I when I hear this report I in my head think it would be sensible for them to do kind of the Spider-Man Miles Morales, you know Similar game, new story, new setting, new character. Well, not new setting, but like new, new character, like new gameplay. But I don't believe that was a full price price release. Not as expensive as the full blown twenty eighteen because it was essentially an expansion. Similarly, um, Uncharted: A Lost Legacy that was a similar kind of expand alone. I'm expecting that sort of thing. I don't, I don't know if they could get away with a seventy dollar expansion to. Modern Warfare too. it depends what it is I mean as you say the Call of Duty fans will buy it um, I'm I'm as similar to you I'm not a massive fan of Call of Duty I wouldn't say I, I, I'm not as uh, Call of Duty agnostic as you are I'd say I'm Call of Duty apathetic um, but I, I think this is a smart move as well because I think this situation like the situation Activision finds itself in speaks a lot about where annualized franchises have got to, so there was a time when annual franchises was, you know, that was what drove the big publishers. You know, I think I swear there was times where like EA would have a Need for Speed out every year, and certainly, obviously, there's been a Call of Duty every year. You get the sports titles every year, just dancers every year. There was a point where Assassin's Creed was every year. Pokemon was technically an annual franchise for the longest time, until. Pokemon Sword and Shield did the the year where they did DLC um rather than a full release. And they're doing that again this year with Scarlet and Violet. And I think developing video games has become so costly and so time consuming because the standards have increased so much that you can't churn out a game every year. Based on a two or three year development cycle. Because other complications happen. This is not even. This is even even without going into like the pandemic. And the ongoing effect that that will have happened. Um, So I think every franchise needs to take a break. And some franchises really benefited from that. So like I say Pokemon took a break. uh, Because it did the Sword and Shield year. Where it had um, DLC one year. And then I believe the next release was Pokemon Legends Arceus. Which was. Incredible, and then that was followed by Scarlet and Violet, which built on what Arceus was trying to do and could have done with a bit more polish. But generally speaking, I mean, you know, it's kept some members of the GI team still, you know, really entertained and they've been frantically trying to keep, uh, complete their Pokedexes. Assassin's Creed is the big one, like that was annual. Every single year there was Call of, Duty, uh, sorry, Call of Duty, there was an Assassin's Creed. Heck, some year so there were two Assassin's Creeds, certainly around kind of the early generation you'd have like Rogue and Unity. That took a year out and it came back with Origins, which reinvented the franchise, gave it a lot more kind of, uh, it just it just revitalised it. It gave it a bit more energy, it tried something different and now Assassin's Creed is selling better than it ever did. Activision have found themselves in a precarious position because they can't really do that with Call of Duty. Because as we've said, like Call of Duty is the biggest seller every single year. It's Certainly Activision Blizzard's biggest seller every year. So a year without a Call of Duty is a massive drop for Activision. Particularly, and we've said this on the podcast before, I can't remember which episode it was, but we, there was one where we basically spent most of the show lamenting the fact that Activision have got to the point where they are entirely dependent on on Call of Duty, yes Blizzard still has its titles that do fairly well yes they've got these free to play games that are bringing in concurrent revenue, you know, recurring revenue, but in terms of the premium space, in terms of new releases and in terms of you know, stuff that impresses shareholders, they only have Call of Duty so I think they do need a year off I think Treyarch could do with a year off to spend time on whatever it is 2024 Call of Duty is going to do but that changes the expectations for whatever this 2023 release is going to be because the issue here is as well call of duty is is such a big seller because it's it's a mainstream franchise as much as it very much appeals to that core audience those core gamers it also appeals to the sort of people who only buy call of duty and maybe a couple of other games per year who aren't necessarily you know on game sites and reading these reports who aren't necessarily aware that no, this originally was a modern way I, I going into it if I were a Call of Duty fan because I now know this thing I will go into it with reined in expectations because I know this started as an expansion rather than a standalone title so I know not to expect quite the same level of blockbuster from this year's Call of Duty as you usually get but I argue I wonder that the mainstream gamers who pick this stuff up and don't engage in the media side of things and following gaming as a hobby you know like who for whom gaming is a hobby rather than a lifestyle that they kind of spend all their time reading and engaging with they might not be aware and and again that goes back to your marketing issue that you said Brendan like they're gonna have to really kind of make it clear what this is and what this isn't um you know they can't just release it as a modern warfare 2 game of the year edition with an expansion like I'm just I'm very intrigued to see how this will go. I don't think we're going to get concrete details on this for a long time. The, the, the announcement of Call of Duty each year has become later and later. It used to be kind of announced just ahead of E3. Or it would be announced at E3. And the last few years, it hasn't really been announced or even confirmed until kind of end of August. Like, barely two months before launch. So, I'm intrigued.
2: Yeah, I mean, they, they know people are going to buy it anyways, I guess. Um, and they've got The Warzone and Mobile, um, you know, their their plans with those games to not only keep keep the brand fresh in front of mind for people, but also, like, if you've got a year of, um, you know, Modern Warfare 2-themed content planned out for Warzone and you're dropping your, you know, last bit, last new maps or whatever in the summer... You don't necessarily want everyone already in the summer saying Modern Warfare 2 is old and busted. We're super excited about whatever Sledgehammer's working on for the fall. Now, they probably wouldn't say that. um, But you you still don't want to kind of like cannibalize any kind of hype for the the end of the Modern Warfare 2 post-release content. uh, And get people stoked for the, the new thing then. Yeah, it's... It's interesting because Activision has been, like, sort of unique among game publishers. I think in the way that their trajectory has, like, company wide, Activision Blizzard has has basically been steadily upward um, for fifteen years, and other other publishers, you know, they'll they'll have boom years and bust years kind of like there was there was a year where take two had like nothing except its annualized franchises and they told investors like okay yeah you know this is a bad year we don't want this again but you know we'll still be profitable uh and we'll we'll come back you know in the coming years with bigger stuff and you kind of you know that they're good for it, I guess, because when they have a Red Dead Redemption year or a new Grand Theft auto year, like their financials are completely different that year. It's like an entirely different company with the, the step change in, in uh, you know their sales and, and profits. So like Activision hasn't trained its investors for that. Like that's not what people expect when they when they look at Activision Blizzard financials. They they expect the company to like give really ludicrously conservative guidance and then blow it out of the water every year because that's generally what they do. You know, and and when they when they don't, there's often uh, you know like uh, an issue where it was like Advanced Warfare or Vanguard being particularly down years for Call of Duty or you know a greater economic calamity or console generation switch over the pandemic drop off you know these these kind of like greater macroeconomic things that that are that are good excuses that the company can use i don't know if if bobby Kotick is just like fundamentally opposed to the idea of like okay we're going to we're gonna punt this year. We're just gonna, you know, put put a, a kind of a not great year out there, but we'll bring it back the year after that and the year after that. Like that doesn't seem like a strategy Activision, Blizzard, or Activision before the, the merger there under Kodak has ever used.
1: I, I would imagine that at some point that, not at some point, but I imagine that there's probably been multiple conversations had about that. And he probably just thought, nah, <laughs> for as long as Call of Duty has been what it is, I just can't uh, imagine that there's been a point where, you know, yeah, that sounds like a year. Let's take a, you know, uh, a rest year.
2: Yeah, Well, Sledgehammer exists, kind of. As a way to answer that question, right? Because mm. they were doing Treyarch and Infinity Ward every other year uh, in in the late aughts, and and it was you know, it was obviously good, but like the 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 size and scope of the games just became so much that they they couldn't keep working on a two year dev cycle like that. Uh, so they they the big uh, idea with Sledgehammer was to kind of. Um, have a, a third pillar there so that, like, hey, now we all get three years to make the games and the games will be even better. Uh, and it hasn't... I mean, I guess it's it's worked out for the Infinity Ward and the Treyarch uh, side of things, but Sledgehammer is... Like, I, I think their very first project, Sledgehammers, was supposed to be a third-person Call of Duty action game um, because the studio was founded by the like uh, a visceral games uh team right like like glenn Schofield and, and michael condry were, were kind of i don't know if poached is the right word but they they were working at visceral uh, on games like dead space and then they moved over to to activision forming sledgehammer and i think the the idea was that they would make that third person action call of duty game and kind of extend the brand a little bit more and that didn't come together. And then they kind of wound up stuck with the, you know, the, the leftovers of the Call of Duty franchise, the, you know, the, the things.
0: As, as is the fate of all other Activision studios, they became a Call of Duty support team. It's just they were the only ones kind of that elevated to the point where they could make their own games as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, which is just like, I don't know, I, I feel bad for Sledgehammer because it, it, it's it's such a tall order that they had right from day one and and i don't feel like they've been put into in i don't feel like they've been put into a position to really succeed with the call of duty brand the way you know uh, treyarch and infinity ward have so if this is you know an opportunity for them to to actually step up and 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 show like yeah they they can when they have a a good franchise a good sub brand or whatever setting to work with that they can deliver um that would be that'd be great for them but um yeah it 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 still kind of feels like they're just getting table scraps
0: Other story we want to talk about this week was Larian Studios uh, talking about exclusivity for Baldur's Gate 3, but specifically talking about um, concerns around the Xbox versions. So there were worries that Baldur's Gate 3 was going to be exclusive to kind of, I say exclusive, but like, you know, only be available on PC, Mac, GeForce Now and PlayStation 5. So console exclusive wise, it would be only on PlayStation. Larian Studios clarified that um, the Xbox versions are in development and have been for some time but they've had some technical issues uh specifically they've been struggling to get split scene, split screen co-op working to the same standard on both xbox series x which is obviously the high-end machine and the xbox series s which is the low end machine and microsoft's requirement is that games must operate on both machines identically or at least you know kind of there should be some level of parity there um, in order to ship on Xbox. You cannot release an Xbox Series X only game. It has to support S. Um, before we dive further into this, it is important for me to point out that Marie D'Alessandri, who is, uh, as of today, our deputy editor, is mortified that the one time she genuinely can't make the podcast, we're talking about Borders Gate 3, which is her most anticipated game. I, was just, I had to had to get that across, that she's mortified that we're talking about Borders Gate 3 without her. So if we can try and keep this as much on the kind of the Xbox problems, we can avoid upsetting Marie. Um, so
2: the one thing that I'll say about Larian is Divinity Original Sin Two was fantastic, and we really need to dig into everything that they're building on with Baldur's Gate Three on a gameplay level here. <laughs>
0: um, in all seriousness, I think I think it's I think it's interesting. We've kind of known, everyone has kind of known that for for a while, like. Microsoft's strategy was great to begin with in the generation, right? You know, we've got the Xbox Series X, sorry, Xbox Series S, which is more affordable. It's kind of that midway point between an Xbox. I think it was like literally comparable to an Xbox One X. So, you know, we've got this lower end machine that's cheaper to produce that people can buy. It's digital only, like it's, it's an alternate version for those who can't afford the full blown Xbox Series X. And... I, that strategy made sense at the start of the generation when obviously like people weren't sure they could afford the the high end version, but inevitably there was going to come a point where supporting Series S hinders developers who are only focusing on PlayStation Five and high end PC because as much as Sony was also still supporting PS4 at the time because you know PS4 had a user base of well over 100 million why would you suddenly cut them off we are still now we're now getting to the point where not as many first party games have playstation 4 versions a lot of third party games and some first party games are now playstation 5 only that's not happening with xbox because that's microsoft strategy that's microsoft's requirements but that's going to hold back or at the very least delay xbox versions so this isn't a surprise to me I wonder if it will get to the point where Microsoft has to change that rule because ultimately demanding that developers make sure their games for their high-end console are also compatible with the low-end model of the console which is you know technically equivalent to a 2017 re-release or kind of expansion of their previous console it's just a lot of work for development studios to do and there will come a point where Developers think there's just no point doing that extra work, particularly because PlayStation and PC have the larger install base.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know if, if Microsoft would do this, uh, like would, would do what you suggested there in, in just kind of saying, yeah, this game can't be, you know, you can release a game that doesn't work on Series S and market it only as Series X. Um, just because like they didn't do anything like that with um, the Xbox One X. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's—I imagine a lot of it's the same reason why I don't think they would do it with the Series S, because the Series S is a significant chunk of the Xbox installed base, and yeah. on top of that, the Xbox installed base is not what you know what the PlayStation Five installed base is. It's—it's it's not what the Switch installed base is. So when you when you've got like. A smaller market share anyways and then you're like okay and we're gonna like cut out half of that um i i'm not sure how many how many companies are really going to be interested in that now that it's the kind of move that like nintendo will do in a heartbeat with like new nintendo 3ds <laughs> that which was i i'm still kind of baffled at like how that ever happened um, and I think there were like what four or five games that were exclusive to the new Nintendo 3ds. Um, yeah, so like I, I I think it's just kind of this is the way it is and if you want to make an Xbox game uh, maybe maybe Microsoft kind of relents a little on the these features need to be you know, you need to have feature parity between the versions um, but it's. It's it, it, it's a problem that I'm actually I'm surprised it's only cropping up now um, because the difference uh, in in the hardware horsepower, from my understanding, my limited you know layman's understanding between the Series X and the Series S is is not trivial, um, and and we've had a couple of years now, uh, two and a half years almost, where developers have been you know, pushing the hardware. And, and maybe they've been running into this problem and just not going public with it the way the um, Baldur's Gate 3 team did. Uh, but it, it it reminds me of um, one of my favorite, like, widely forgotten stories, I think. In 2011, uh, EA was releasing Battlefield 3. And the Xbox version of the game was standard def. Because the original Xbox 360 did not, like there were two models at launch and one of them didn't come with a hard drive. Oh, yeah. So everything that they made had to work on a system that didn't have a hard drive. Um, And for the longest time, any kind of like downloadable game from arcade had to fit on a memory card. And and so that that imposed all these restrictions on on developers, which were really you know frustrating for the longest time. So with Battlefield Three, they released uh, a, a second disc of the game uh, for Battlefield Three that came in the box, and it was a uh, high res texture pack that could be installed to the hard drive in order to get you know the the proper HD graphical quality of the game. that was their solution to it and i just thought like that was the (laughs) the most entertainingly wild clown shoes workaround, and i i kind of like i don't enjoy that developers are are you know having to to deal with the obviously frustrating uh restraint constraints here the differences between the series s and the series x but I do enjoy these kind of like weird solutions that, that people <laughs> come up with. And I, I hope that if, if we have to go through all this, you know, if people have to go through all the misery of, of working around the Series X and Series S differences, I, I hope we get some completely, you know, just wild and anom- anomalous uh, one off solutions like that standard Def Battlefield 3.
0: I wonder if the solution or a solution is um, a cloud version. Because the the S is digital only anyway, so you know that whoever's got the S has got a solid internet connection, because otherwise they can't use their console. Um, cloud gaming at the moment on Xbox is limited to people who are on Game Pass. But you look at like the Switch. There are so many kind of games on Switch that are cloud versions only like you can't get hitman 3 running on us on a switch natively so they do a cloud version i wonder if they eventually get to the point where they're releasing cloud games maybe not for borders gate 3 but for future titles that have this issue you either you know you buy you know the the full version the full download version on xbox series x or a retail version but then that also gives you access to a cloud version for series s i wonder if that's the way forward I don't know if that's a daft enough workaround for you, Brendan.
2: It's, I mean, it is a thing that Nintendo did. So that's,
0: you know, there's a certain level
2: of daftness there uh, (laughs) to start with. Like I, I, honestly, I don't, I I don't really get these cloud streaming on switch sort of uh, options. I'm surprised Nintendo has, has done that. I don't know how popular they are. I don't, I suspect they are not, particularly well uh, well used or well loved um, but yeah yeah like that's I, I'm sorry James that solution is entirely too like reasonable and straightforward <laughs> and would work for like everything so no Satisfied I'm gonna have Bible. to say that doesn't satisfy that that craving for, for outside the box uh, shoddy workarounds
1: Yeah, so to go back to something I said earlier, um, something's got to give, right? Um, It's interesting where um, I don't like saying that these are hardware limitations. It's more like this is kind of what you have to work with, right? If that's the mandate where both have to be on the um, S and X units, then, you know, like you said, it it may very well be that cloud gaming um, or streaming is the solution, uh, because at some point, you know, another game is going to, you know, be making the headlines with this kind of thing, you know, with Xbox. I'm pretty sure, sure, sooner than later, we're probably going to see something similar. Um,
2: hey, you'd think and, it would only pick up as the generation gets, you know, right. further in, and, and people are trying to push the hardware further.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, and that's a great point, and I'm glad you said that because um, we've we've it can be argued that. Throughout so many console generations, that the best games happen near the tail end, where developers are really pushing the systems after working with them for years, right? So where where does that leave the the S uh, consoles? I have no idea, but um, someone's gonna have to figure something out. <laughs> what exactly that look like? I have no idea. I think cloud gaming makes sense uh i i doubt it would be a case of although the prospect of hey here's a uh, hd patch sounds ridiculous in 2023 but who knows you know we reread so many headlines that sound ridiculous but hey i if it makes sense sure um but yeah it'll be interesting to see because like you said that we only you know we're getting closer and closer to the end and it's only gonna get more complex so what, what what is the answer in that case i have no idea it'll be interesting to see I like to
2: see what 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 that would be. I I I suspect, actually thinking about it, that Microsoft will probably um, relax its its strictness on this. Just like if you look at last generation, specifically Cyberpunk, uh, coming out and how that was performing on the launch Xbox One consoles, um, like that's that that was messy. Um, and and that's kind of the the sort of situation that we are uh, signing up for again here, I think, especially if there is a mid-generation hardware refresh like there was last last time, you know, with the PS4 pro and the Xbox 1x if uh, <clears throat> if Microsoft and Sony take that that same strategy again this generation, which I think is actually one of the, uh, more interesting questions of, about how this generation shakes out. Um, what are those, you know, envelope-pushing games going to look like when, when they're run not only on launch hardware from the generation, but on, like, the, the technically inferior launch hardware? Because, like, Xbox One X came out, it was just, you know, it, it was just the one... One version of it. There was never like a nerfed, uh, cheaper version for people to 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 get in on, at least not until they took the Kinect out of the, the the package. But you know, no one missed that. So, like the idea of of the idea of a game like Cyberpunk uh, running on the original Xbox One. You know, extrapolate out seven, eight years, and kind of have the the equivalent of a cyberpunk then running that poorly on an Xbox One X, and and thinking like, okay, well now let's let's take off another few notches for the Xbox Series S. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that might be funny. I. Uh, again, uh, much sympathy for for the poor poor developers that are actually in on the front lines of that one. But um, some people will get some chuckles out of it, I'm sure.
1: It's funny, yeah. I, I know that that's probably like veering into uh, a different topic altogether, and we'll probably just cross that bridge when we get to it. That um, it we may in fact see like mid. Um, the, mid uh, console upgrades you know i think that's more likely than not uh, that's just my opinion i i have no scientific basis to base that on anything, but just with the way things are shaking out and quote-unquote e- economic uncertainties i don't know how many times we've seen those words in the past couple of articles that we've written on the site but um yeah it'll be interesting um something's got to give what exactly that will be Across all these respective things involving like Call of Duty, Baldur's Gate, and, and similar thing, who knows? It'll it will be interesting to see. Um, hopefully, it's laughable when we get those press releases.
2: So one la- one last thing on the mid mid cycle console refreshes, um, because like it, it seemed to work last last generation, right? Um, because they were able to extend things another another few years, and 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 people. Seem to buy uh, Xbox One X and PS4 Pro in in reasonable numbers. So on the one hand, it's like, yeah, that that worked. Why wouldn't you go back and, and do that again the next time? But on the other hand, like I'm I, I'm I'm wondering about diminishing returns in in games and like the the first year or two of this generation, and part of this is due to the pandemic. But like everything had a previous generation version as well, right? And I don't remember seeing those like, when, when Watch Dogs also came out on like Wii U or Xbox 360 or uh, Lord of the Rings, Shadow of Mordor, I think. Like these these games that also had a version for the previous generation, I remember like a lot of videos of like, oh my gosh, look how look how rough this looks, look how empty the levels are, look how hobbled this is from being on a previous generation of hardware. I don't remember that this time around. I I I, I got the feeling that like yeah, the old hardware still does most of the things that people that developers are asking it to do just without some of the uh you know fancier graphical effects and all that and i I don't i wonder if if we've hit the point of diminishing returns with you know super powered cutting edge hardware uh to the point that like you're really getting down with a mid-cycle hardware refresh now you're really like narrowing it down to just the kind of like hardcore super consumer that's that's counting frames per second on everything that they play and and getting you know like religiously upset about it falling beneath a certain threshold and when you're already into that audience like a good chunk of them are probably going to be just as happy if not happier with a pc where you can you know, you can really eke out the or maximize that that frames per second or whatever with with hardware if you're willing to invest in it. And increasingly, we've got Microsoft offering all its Xbox stuff on PC, and Sony has started running their first their first party games onto PC after a couple of years. And you know, maybe as the as the generation goes along, maybe there's just less and less reason. For people to invest in a super high-powered, cutting-edge mid-cycle refresh of a system, so yeah, and and but you could use that that same um, argument to explain why we won't have uh, those increasing disparities between Series S and Series X as the generation goes along. Why we won't wind up with something as uh weirdly comedic as as cyberpunk on the the past generation consoles because people maybe don't necessarily need to push the hardware as far as they they have in previous generations because what we have now is actually kind of good and if that means uh no funny glitch videos from late releases on underpowered hardware then uh, i revoke that argument entirely because i need those videos
0: That is all we've got time for on this week's show. We're going to be back next week with the Playable Futures podcast. So if you'd forgotten, Playable Futures is this series of interviews where we're talking to leaders from the gaming sphere, um, various sections of the games industry about the future in their particular field or on particular subjects. Uh, Following that, we'll be back with the usual news and discussion episode. You can find all previous podcasts on a podcast player of your choice, and you can get more news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz.